Welcome to the Kesset Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us and hope you enjoyed today's sermon. If you'd like to find out more about Kesset, you can head to kessetchurch.com or find us on Facebook. Good morning. Welcome to Kesed. Let me uh, introduce myself if you're brand new. My name is Danny. I am one of the pastors here, and I'm so excited that you're here. I know there's a lot going on, as we can see, in Clark County, and I appreciate you taking some time to visit. Thank you so much. Uh, we're in a series right now called Out Loud, and we're, we're taking this passage um, from 2 Peter that, that is, is kind of this, this, uh, this step-by-step plan in order to live your life in an efficient and effective way for the kingdom. So much of Christianity is internal, and I think that's very important, and we'll talk about that. But the reality is it can't just be about your own personal transformation. It has to be about the people that are around you that experience that, and how do you live what's happening inside yourself out loud? That's what this whole series is about. Uh, I want to pray for us because I think the most important thing as we dive into some of this is to remove ourselves from any distractions that we brought in with us. I know for me, uh, I, I had, I've had one of those months, and, uh, and sometimes they build up, and then all of a sudden I just find myself kind of more concerned with the things I'm concerned about than really the things God's concerned about. And so today, I don't know who it is, and I don't know why, but I feel like there's people in here that, that brought in a lot of heaviness. They brought in a lot of stuff, and my prayer for you is that today you leave here a little bit lighter as you realize that the concerns of God may not be the concerns of you. And, and so I feel like that's so important right now, and so I didn't plan on it, but I'm going to because I just got this sense that, uh, that we're going to dig in, and God's going to do some really neat stuff, and I hope it blesses you. So will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this room. Thank you for the folks that are here. I ask God that as we ponder the things of your will, that you would, um, Lord, you would just enlighten us to what it is you're concerned about, where it is you want us to focus, that it wouldn't be about a person on stage or about hearing a voice or, or anything that might keep us distracted long enough for us to miss what it is you want to share with us. And I know every person in this room has walked a different path. They're all sitting in different seats with different perspectives. And so, Lord, I just ask for your Holy Spirit's help. I ask for his voice. I ask for his life-affecting presence to be felt in this room and that people would have their needs met, the needs you know. More important, Lord, than even the needs they believe they're holding so close. Thank you, God, for being a father who knows his children so well. We lift this time to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This passage in 2 Peter, uh, the list is in chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. So let me just read the list for you that Peter says are important things for you to embrace within your life in order to live your life in an effective, out loud way. He says this, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith, and then he gives you a list, goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being, and I love this phrasing, ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
ineffective and unproductive. Now, I don't know if you are tying yourself into this in, in, in every way that I am, but I'm tying myself to this verse in that when I read passages like this, I see through to what also Peter's saying, which is that if we have the knowledge of Jesus, we are supposed to be productive and we are supposed to be effective. If he's saying these are the things you need to own to not be this way, he's also saying this is how you're supposed to live. Now, go back to the first verse, if you would. Uh, over the last few weeks, we covered a few of these. We've already covered goodness uh, and knowledge. Okay, next one. And to knowledge, self-control. And to self-control, this week we're going to cover perseverance. As a matter of fact, we're only going to look at this simple five-phrase, five-word phrase today, and to self-control, perseverance. Perseverance is a, is a difficult talk because most people go, yeah, I know exactly what it means and I understand and I'm going to try to do better. So can we talk about something a little more provocative? Because it's perseverance. Yet I would argue with you that for most people in the room, perseverance isn't part of your faith story. I'm going to argue about this gently because I haven't given a lot of verses to back up my opinion yet and I don't want to lose the crowd. <laughs> I'm going to argue that a lot of you in this room aren't wrestling with perseverance because you actually aren't a very productive or efficient Christian. If you are a productive and efficient Christian, apparently you need self-control, which we talked about last week, and you need perseverance. If you don't need much perseverance in your life, then most likely what you are is apathetic, meaning you're ineffective and unproductive, meaning you're the opposite of what Peter asked you to be. Now, a little bit of perspective on Peter. Now, Peter's being pretty aggressive, and so, so is Danny. Because if Peter's going to be aggressive, Danny's going to be aggressive, because Danny's reading Peter's letter to you. The reason Peter is being so aggressive is because this book is some of the last writings from his life. This is his farewell speech. At this point, he knows he was nearing the end of his story, and he wanted to make sure and have written forever to future Christians what it meant to live for Jesus. And one of the things he wanted you to know was that if you aren't dealing in perseverance, then you're probably not productive or effective. Now, I'm not trying to disqualify you from the rest of the talk. I'm just letting you know you might want to come out of a little different angle than every other apathetic thing in your Christian life. Now, I'm not talking to everybody, just some of you. Probably a lot of you, but I, but I don't know who it is. I don't, I don't know who it is, so stop looking at me that way. I don't know you. I don't, right? I, I don't, I've had people come up, stop me after church, and they're like, you've been reading my emails, and I think they're trying to compliment me, but at the same time, I always want to tell them, that's illegal. Like, I'm not doing that. That's just the Holy Spirit convicting you right now, and frankly, the more frustrated you are with what I'm saying, probably the closer it ties to your story, and so therefore the truth. If you are an apathetic Christian, then you are unproductive and ineffective, but you also probably aren't wrestling with perseverance because what's there to persevere against? You're good. This is just what the book says. This is what Peter wants you to know, this simple thing. Jesus' followers are to be people who never stop growing in the character traits that mark God's own divine nature. You never, ever arrive at anything this book has told you to accomplish. And as Christians, I think we're taught that we do. I think we're taught that once you get here, then you, you can set that down and, and move on to other things. And we use broken verses in order to shore up our broken thinking. Things like, once when I was a babe, I thought like a babe, but now that I'm a man, I think like a man. And I'm like, but you're almost divorced. Like how, what? Go back to baby thinking. 
Go back, step way back into your story and recognize the reality that God has called you to persevere because there is a struggle that you are supposed to face at all times. I don't know anybody that works out consistently that just stays at the same weight forever and expects to grow. As a matter of fact, something really profound was told to me recently, which is that you can't look good and get better at the same time. I want to go to the gym. I just want to look good. I want to do all the exercise as well. I want to lift a bunch. I want people to go, whoa, that's impressive. But this body's not going to do that. So I can't look good and get better at the same time. And guess what? You can't grow in your faith without perseverance. Can't do it. It may be one of the most provocative things you've ever heard because it speaks directly to your apathy, which is proof of your lack of perseverance and proof of your ineffective, unproductive gospel lifestyle. I was off to a good start overall, I think. I think overall I've got at least 40% of the crowd with me. And the rest of you are just wondering how long this is going to last. Till the end, that's how long it's going to last. Few are the words for perseverance, steadfastness, endurance, and patience. We're going to read these in a few seconds. And I want you to understand that, that perseverance is really about that. It's about steadfastness, endurance, and patience. To preserve means that only one may continue in a course of action, even in the face of difficulty or with no prospect of success. It has to do with this idea that the process in and of itself is where the success happens. It's the endurance that happens that you experience, not the goal in mind. I know as a church planner, I know when I was where Ryan's at, I was like, one day, man, one day I'm going to have a building, I'm going to have this, and one day I'm going to be a real church. One thing I told to Ryan as I've coached him just a little bit is, Ryan, enjoy the process because you're already the church man. The endurance that you're setting in to move out here and plant in the middle of this region especially is the church moving. You are extensions and, and, and movements of the church. And so stop worrying about, he isn't, I was, about trying to get to a certain place to accomplish a certain thing. One day, once I get this figured out, I'm going to be a great dad. Man, when my kids are teenagers, I'm going to be a great dad. What? Like, great dad happens the day you find out that your spouse is pregnant. That's when great dad clicks in. you got to be part of that whole process from the beginning. And yet, here's the reality. If you've not been a good dad, if you've not been a good mom, do you know you can still start today? Do you know as an, a parent, uh, a child of, that has adult or older parents? My mom's here in this room right now. So <laughs> graceful, gently loving older parents. I still rely on her in mom fashion in multiple ways. She still makes me breakfast on Saturday mornings because she knows what I like. I, she's still my mom. And even if she had been absent, let's say, for years and years and years, the reality is it's not as if once this piece is done, I don't still need this piece. The truth of it is that I want connection as, as well as most of us do inside the process. And that is where you can find your greatest victory is in a willingness to endure, even if forgiveness needs to be asked, even if restoration needs to happen. It is inside the process of experiencing the endurance that we have victory. In the simplest terms, we need to experience victory in the continuance of an unceasing effort, no matter the odds or actual outcome. Because the the experience is what matters so very much. And the endurance is proof of our effectiveness and our productiveness. In our simplest of terms, period, persevering means to keep going through a hard time without giving up, no matter what. Galatians 6, 9 says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap 
if we do not give up. Again, if I could give you guys one simple gift, it's to not read verses thinking they only flow one direction. And let us not grow weary of doing good. That simply means doing good is tiresome. It's not just don't get tired of doing good. It's also another statement. Doing good is tiresome. So if you're not tired and you're not enduring, can you be doing good? Or are you just easy going? Don't want to stir up too much problems. The reality is even the smallest of us must endure. Charles Spurgeon He's uh, one of my favorite theologians. I've learned incredible, incredible deep things from him. Here's a picture of him. He has great hair and a beard, and I respect that. <laughs> I realize more and more I'm starting to look more and more like Charles Spurgeon as I get older. <laughs> Shoot. There's worse things in life. About, <laughs> about persevering. <laughs> so did everybody else. They're like, whoa, whoa. That's your papa? Is that who that is? <laughs> Charles Spurgeon said one of the most profound things maybe you ever heard about perseverance. By perseverance, the snail reached the ark. You ever thought about that story before? That bro would have had to start months in advance in order to make that boat. I'm just saying. One day he woke up and it was like three miles in two years. Go now. Like, oh my gosh. I mean, that's some, that's some serious stuff. Perseverance is a big deal. It's a big deal to God, and it's a big deal to Scripture, and so we need to look at it. Let me give you some examples of how perseverance sometimes kind of unfolds itself. I like the, I'm going to use the story of Moses to do this. I'm not going to teach the whole story because I think most of us know it, but Moses uh, grew up um, an immigrant inside the Egyptian kingdom, and the Hebrew people that were enslaved there were the labor force of the Egyptian kingdom, and they were getting too strong. And so Pharaoh, in all his wisdom, decided he was going to kill the firstborn of all the Hebrews in order to stave off a generation of power that he felt was coming. And Moses' parents trusted God and felt like God was going to take care of their son. And so they put him in a river and they let him go. Can you fathom what that would feel like, your child? But it was better than the death they saw coming. He floated near uh, one of the princesses of Egypt and she fell in love with him. And he then became a child of Pharaoh, raised inside Pharaoh's home. For 40 years, he was educated with the best. He, he experienced the best. He had relationships with the best. He was in every way an Egyptian except for his heart. Suddenly, the revelation is made to him that he's actually not Egyptian at all. He's a Hebrew. He sees the plight of the Hebrew people, and something in him snaps, and he ends up secretly killing an Egyptian slaver that is beating the Hebrew man. And he kills the man, realizes he's broke Egyptian law, realizes that the Hebrews won't accept him, and so he runs away from God. He runs into a land, the land of Midian, and he lives there for 40 years, and God unravels him. I mean, his endurance would have been tested in every single way as he was no longer living this princely lifestyle, as he was no longer a man of authority, as, as nothing that, that mattered to him mattered to anyone else. And yet he endured continuing to strive to serve this God he didn't know. One day he's walking and a bush lit on fire starts talking to him. And it says to him, Moses, I've seen that you've made the impossible sacrifice. I've seen that you've walked away from everything you know. And so I'm going to ask you an impossible ask. Go back and save my people. You're going to face some impossible challenges. 
You're going to face some impossible challenges because Pharaoh now is your older brother who hasn't seen you in 40 years. You're going to ask him to release his enslaved workforce, which is going to destroy the Egyptian economy, let alone uh, the, 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 the deity that, that they don't believe in is going to, to basically uh, rise up to, to uh, trot upon the deity that is the Egyptian kingdom. I mean, half those slaves were working for generations after generations building pagan shrines. He says, I'm going to ask you to do this, Moses. You're going to face these impossible challenges But then in the end, you're going to receive an impossible outcome. And you're going to rebuild these people. I give you these four steps because I don't know where you're at inside your endurance. But I have a feeling that some of you right now, God is asking you for an impossible sacrifice. And he wants you to leave everything you know. He wants you to break off from the culture that has absorbed you, from the people that are tearing you down. And he wants to awaken you to something more than you already think you are. Next, he's going to give you an impossible ask. He's going to ask you to, to, to go and move forward. He's going to ask you to go and, and lead something. He's going to ask you to go and strive out to do this difficult thing that you don't think you can do. You're going to face impossible challenges. Possible. Things you cannot get through and cannot endure and cannot persevere through without the love of God, and it's going to refine you. It is going to refine you. For in the end, you're going to have a life that's full of impossible outcomes. But all of these things require perseverance. And if you don't have perseverance in your life, it's probably because you've refused to sacrifice impossibly. You've refused the things in God's life that he's asked you. You've refused to face the challenges, and so you're living a life full of ordinary, average outcomes instead of impossible ones. This story, the story of Moses, has such an impact that even biblical authors refer to his example and his behavior as an incredible uh, example of perseverance and endurance. Hebrews 11.27 says this, By faith, he, Moses, left Egypt, Not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured or persevered. And look at the phrase. It's important. Slow down and take it in. As seeing him who is invisible. Something Moses saw in the fire and in the voice and inside himself. Something he saw drove him by faith, scripture says, in order to endure these impossible things. And so receive these impossible outcomes. This idea that Moses' endurance was tied to his seeing him who is invisible is a profound statement. In the book of Hebrews, as they describe Moses and his seeing, they describe it more and more as his very faith. This seeing, this person, this, this deity, this vision that's invisible is described as what's at core of his faith. As a matter of fact, it's used three times to describe Moses' life, four if you include his mother's life. I'll read it for you. Every time you see by faith, you can add the word seen, the invisible. Hebrews eleven twenty three through 28. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith or by seeing, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. 
for he was looking to the reward. There's that scene. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. It's by faith in seeing the invisible that Moses and Moses' parents and all Christians from all generations have been willing to endure the impossible ass, have been willing to endure the impossible sacrifice, have been willing to endure the impossible challenges, and have experienced these impossible outcomes. Another angle on this same passage is in Hebrews 10.36. It says, For you have need of endurance or perseverance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. You may receive what is seen. And what is promised is clear throughout Scripture. James 1.12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast. Again, perseveres under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. What is seen is the promise, and what the promise is is the crown of life. And the crown of life is the all-important motivation for perseverance. But where is it? Who has it? I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> Revelation 2.10. It's a future verse reading back that still echoes into our stories right now. And it says this. Jesus is talking. He says, do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into a prison. Maybe this is a spiritual prison for us now. That you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death. And look what he says. And I will give you the crown of life. Jesus holds the crown of life. Therefore, Jesus is the promise. Therefore, Jesus is the one that Moses saw who was invisible. Therefore, Jesus once again has been the answer and the key to all things we need to endure. It has always been about Jesus. It will always be about Jesus. There's no other way for us to say it, and so there's no other way that I will. Jesus Christ holds the answers. It is only Christ's eternal promise that is so powerful. It's worthy of persevering through both the day-to-day -day trials, pressing from the outside, and the incredibly painful ones that lay close within. You see, Christianity sits within our hearts, but the reality is oftentimes it doesn't break out loud because we can't deal with the stuff that is so close within. Hebrews talks about it as clinging sin. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. But notice this means that you can't have endurance or run with endurance until you get rid of the sin that clings so closely, for it is a heavy weight upon your spiritual body, and so your spiritual walk, and so therefore your effectiveness and productiveness. If you're in this room right now and you are enduring spiritual trial, bless you. If you're in this room right now and you are enduring internal transformation and heartache because of stuff that God is revealing to your life or people he's called you to reach that are, that are rejecting you, bless you. If you are hurting and suffering and in pain that only Jesus Christ can take away, what a blessed life you're living. For it would be better for you to receive the rejection of Christ than it would be for you, Peter says, to receive the treasures of this world. And we all know Christ doesn't reject. He affirms, he restores, he remakes. 
And he is the greatest enduring example that has ever lived. We as Christians often are surprised by all the persecution we receive from other Christians, from the faith community, from people who can't see it how we see it and don't see that we're doing the best we can. And I'm always surprised by those Christians who are surprised because Jesus was the living example of what he was trying to do, and they crucified him. So why are you so concerned they Facebook blast you? Why are you so concerned when you stand up for what Jesus stands for that you have to endure some sort of persecution? Isn't that part of the deal? If you order a package online and a truck shows up to your house and delivers it, are you blown away that the truck has shown up? Isn't that part of the deal? If you get married and your wife wants a bigger ring year after year after year after year, (laughs) and you're enduring that pressure, isn't that part of the deal? (laughs) A bunch of husbands in here are like, I'm with you, endurance, I just got it right now. My point is, stop being so surprised by the endurance that Christ has called us to have in order to be productive and effective. You signed up to follow Jesus, and his road ended at the cross. Why are you hoping yours ends on a stage with a bunch of impact and a beautiful poem written about you on the day of your death? I don't understand. He is the example. We are the children. And yet you want a whole different outcome than the Father has set. Not all of you. Just some of you. Probably a lot of you. We are called to endure for it is within our endurance that we make the name of Jesus known. People who learn to endure this way discover a fierce desire to reach ahead toward the crown of life and the person of Jesus no matter what. I have another beautiful picture for you. Young William Wilberforce. Not my favorite hairstyle. I'm glad I'm not growing up to look more like him. But still, there he is. William was a pioneer in England against slavery back when slavery was a very popular thing. His mentor was John Wesley, and he had died a few years earlier, and John Wesley was encouraging him, but also very realistic about this this fight that William felt like God had given him. And the story goes like this. Young William Wilberforce was discouraged one night in the early 1790s after another defeat in his 10-year battle against the slave trade in England. Tired and frustrated, he opened his Bible and began to leaf through it. A small piece of paper fell out and fluttered to the floor. It was a letter written by John Wesley shortly before his death. Wilberforce read it, and this is what it said. Unless the divine power has raised you up, I see not how you can go through your glorious enterprise in opposing that abominable practice of slavery, which is the scandal of religion, of England, and of human nature. Unless God has raised you up for this very thing, you will be worn out by the opposition of men and devils. But if God be for you, who can be against you? Are all of them together stronger than God? Oh, be not weary, here's the verse, of well-doing. Go on in the name of God and in the power of his might. If you want to do good according to God's word, then you must become someone who perseveres. The only way to live a life of ease is to reject Jesus Christ and his call to follow him. That's it. And if you live in a home full of apathy, if you're raising children full of apathy, then maybe it's because you're setting an example that's apathetic. 
And maybe instead you should fall to your knees and ask God what it is he wants to cut from your life with this sword of the Spirit. Where it is he wants to pull out the stone in your world that creates safety and ease for you. And how it is he wants to replace it with a heart of flesh, as this series has pointed out, is so very important in order to living a life of endurance that feels pain and experiences struggle. But more than that, gets to receive from God the impossible outcomes, face the impossible challenges, answer the impossible questions, because we made the impossible sacrifice as Jesus did. I want to close by giving you four straightforward and simple ways in which you can measure your own perseverance today, in which you can answer that question. This is both from without and within, and one of the things I love about this is this is actually a truth that has uh, uh, transcended only Christianity. A lot of other belief systems have, have uh, accepted the reality of this truth, although it is so Bible-based. But these are four ways that you might look at yourself and how you've persevered towards your desire to be spiritually enlightened, to be, to be a, a person that God has called to service rather than just sitting. Four stages of spiritual preservance, uh, per- perseverance. The first one is clean up. This is recognize and transform the shadow side of yourselves. If you don't realize that you need to change, if you're okay with where you're at in your spiritual life because you grew up in church your whole world and you no longer get drunk on Saturday. That's almost a quote from someone. If all of a sudden you've accomplished the heavenly hurdle, therefore you stopped running because you accepted Christ, you got that inoculation, good to go then I would challenge you that you've not even stepped up into the first part of this because cleanup is this Isaiah, red as crimson, make me white as snow awakening. It's this epiphany that says, God, I am filthy, I am dirty, and I'm not who I want to be. Will you change me? Another word we use for this a lot is brokenness, but the, church, the truth is a lot of churches like to simply preach this broken message over and over and over again because it's heart-shattering, but I think for the for most part, people realize it, they know it, they can look at the outcome of their story and see that there's a lot of brokenness in it, but you don't, don't just get to sit in brokenness. You don't just get to claim brokenness over the reality that you continue to treat your spouse poorly or go and engage in behavior that's damaging to your soul. Brokenness is just the first step. Cleaning up and realizing you need to be cleaned up is just the first step. The second step is wake up to the true nature of spirit and the relation spirit has with us. This is about listening. You don't just get to come to church, hear from me, apply all of this and go, good, I'm good to go. You have to build your own relationship with Jesus Christ. For it is only in your calling from Jesus that you can experience the endurance you're built to endure. Don't do the things Danny asked you to do. That's why I don't just close down the church and go, hey, why don't you guys head on down to the boy from Tennessee's church? No, I say, hey, there's people in here who need and know that God is whispering. They're supposed to be apart, so go. But some of you are supposed to be here, and some of you are supposed to be somewhere else. It's not my job to determine what that looks like, because once you've realized you need to clean up, you've got to wake up, and you've got to build a relationship with the Holy Spirit to hear from him how he has built you to endure the race that he's called you to run. It's your race, not my race. 
My race has to do with preaching and teaching and, and leading a church. That's part of my race, and God has built me for it in a very specific way. But that may not be everybody else's race in here. Your race may be right at home with your children. Your race may be living a single life and getting to experience what that feels like for the world and showing them that God is enough. Your race may be a Christian light in the darkness of your business. I have no idea, and I don't need to know. But if you can't clean up, then you can't wake up. And if you can't wake up, you can't hear from God what he wants for you to accomplish. The third one is easy. It's grow up. Don't check your brains at the door when you enter to pray or worship. Think. Learn to think. Learn to challenge. Learn to be angsty. When you're angsty, it's your body telling you something. This is Emotional Health 101. We've got a class for it, by the way. When you like, oh, that bugs me. Why does that bother you? And think about your story and understand it and unravel yourself before God pushes you out into a desert and unravels you from the inside out. Moses spent 40 years discovering why he was what he was. That's why he could spend the next 40 years doing the impossible for God. You might at least spend 10 minutes. Think. Invest. Study. Learn. Clean up. Wake up. Listen, that means grow up, and that means think. Notice the first three all have to do with our inner work, the often grueling personal work we do within our own consciousness and closest relationships. But the fourth one, this is the out loud element, and it's show up. This is where the fruits of our labor truly begin to ripen when we, through perseverance and endurance, serve and lead. This is where all of our accumulated knowledge personal growth, spiritual practice, and shadow work become a limitless source of strength, presence, and wisdom, allowing us to engage the many dimensions and challenges of our world in a far more meaningful and impactful way, from becoming a better parent, to becoming a better leader, to becoming a better citizen of the world. It is in this way, and only in this way, that you can persevere through difficult external circumstances, but endure the always intense process of God-breathed transformation from within to without. Let me explain it one last way, and I'm going to soak this into your brain, and I hope it bothers you for the rest of the week. Everybody's trying to incline. Everybody's trying to get up to the top of this hill to reach this imaginary place. For a church planner, it's a real church. For a businessman, it's enough money. For a woman, it's, it's enough value in certain things. Whatever it is, and I don't need to know what it is, but everybody's taking these first things, these first three steps to do it. Clean up, wake up, grow up. Up to get to the top of the hill. Once people get to the top of the hill, this is where enlightenment, enlightenment happens, where awakening happens, where Jesus Christ meets people and says, hey, just so you know, it was never up here and it was always down there. And then as a Christian, you begin to decline. You begin to follow him down the narrow road instead of the wide road. You begin to serve and lead. You begin to show up. And on the way down the hill, this is what's so profound. People who are just as disciplined as you used to be at climbing the hill will look at you and laugh at you and mock you because suddenly you're a person that values things you used not to value, like holding the four-year-old hand of your granddaughter instead of being at work to make a profit. Suddenly it's about laying in the park looking for four-leaf clovers with your grandson. Instead of closing another deal, losing another pound. Suddenly you're declining because you are serving and you are following Jesus down. And the further, the lowest you get, the less disciplined people there are coming up who make more fun. But the truth is all of them will reach the awakening whether now or when they close their eyes at the very last. They will meet Jesus and guess what he's going to do? He's going to ask them to bow their knees whether they believe or not. 
And they will ultimately decline. And then their endurance and their perseverance will be measured. And he will see his name printed on their hearts or he will not. This is why perseverance is so important. Because we should be living our lives as soon as possible declining. Quietly giving away our church. Quietly giving away our funds. Quietly giving away our prayer and our leadership. And we pull it all from the the wisdom that our brokenness has taught us. We pull it all from the wisdom that, that, our, that our listening has taught us. We pull it all from the wisdom that our thinking has taught us. And then we serve quietly, leading and loving people, waiting to be the person God has called us to be and to whisper into their names as they pass us, trying to build that important life, to be that important person. Hey, it's not up there. Because above all else, what really matters is the name of Jesus, for he has the crown of life. And he was the one who stayed at the bottom, lived at the bottom, met those at the bottom, served them, forgave them, and loved them. And that's why we spend our Christian lives doing everything we can to get lower and lower, less than and less than, so that we can have more of and more of the one who persevered for me. I hope that causes angst in your heart because mine is on fire right now. Because I'm not good at it. I feel like I'm that guy who faces downhill and then just walks backwards. I I look like I'm going the right way, but a lot of times I'm still kind of trying to get back to that place because I just feel like maybe there's something up there I missed. And then Jesus reminds me again and a sermon comes across like this again and his spirit fills my life and he whispers, Danny, I don't care about that stuff. I care less about the goal than I do about you enduring the race with me at your side, every step, cheering you on, loving you, forgiving you, holding you, restoring you. He sees the impossible in you, church. He's asking the impossible. He is a God of possibilities. And so won't you raise him above all else and endure wherever he's asking you to go, no matter how far, how long. He's ready. I think today he wants to know where you are. I'm going to give you some time to reflect on that. So if you can bow your heads. Heavenly Father, there's a lot of open hearts in here right now whole bunch of people that are just willing, God, to do what it takes to be Christians who get to experience the impossible. Christians who don't waste one breath of this beautiful life they've been given. Christians who want to be productive and effective in the name of Jesus more than anything else. May we reach toward that crown of life above all else. Please stir us now. Tear us open. Mend us. Forgive us. Convict us. Remake us. Restore us. We are yours. 